This is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. And the best person to get an answer like that from would be Jesus. At Line Upon Line, we answer your Bible questions. Thanks for submitting them. In addition to that answer, open the book of Revelation. God wants you to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. And He wants you to have assurance about being ready for the second coming of Jesus. Welcome to Line Up Online from It Is Written with Eric Flickinger. I'm John Bradshaw. Thanks for joining us. At Line Up Online, we have the opportunity to answer your questions. And I thank you for getting your questions to us. And if you'd like to send us a question, send it to us at lineuponline at iiw.org. Now, we're going to begin at the beginning today. Here's a simple question from Walter. Well, it's a more of an observation than a question. See if you resonate with this a little bit. Maybe you do. I wouldn't have made it in Old Testament times. I couldn't imagine taking a knife and ending the life of a little animal. To me, that's very cruel. Eric, what do we say to that? I think he's absolutely right. It is cruel. It's something that was supposed to make an impression upon people back in Old Testament times. The impression that it was supposed to make was the wages of sin is death. And to take a knife and draw it across the throat of, of an innocent animal, uh, that impressed very strongly upon the hearts and minds of those who lived in Old Testament times. The fact that sin was terrible. Uh, sin cost the life of something. Now, in truth, those those animals that were sacrificed in Old Testament times, they were pointing forward to someone, someone who sacrificed a great deal on our behalf. Yeah, that's right. If, if we'd stop and think about the cost of our sins and that Jesus was, was the real sacrifice, the one to whom all those sacrifices pointed towards, uh, we might have the same feelings towards sin as Walter has towards uh, killing all those animals. That's right. We'd be less likely, I think, to to take sin as lightly as sometimes we do today. I, I recall as a kid, you know, I, I grew up around farm animals. I, I wasn't raised on a farm, but around farms. And we went over to Mr. Um, Mr. Oliver's farm, my friend Joey and I, we went to Mr. Oliver's farm. I don't quite know what we were doing. They were just kids 10 years old. And Mr. Oliver didn't know till we got there was slaughtering sheep. My goodness, that'll sober you up if you're not familiar with the process. The poor little sheep comes over, uh, uh, unsuspecting and naive, and with one swift cut of the knife, basically from one side of the throat to the other, the sheep dies pretty well instantly. There's blood everywhere. That'll, that'll, that'll get your attention. And when you think about the, the, the finality of it all and the, the effects of, well, the effects of sin, it's, it, it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. That sacrificial system was designed to be repulsive. If it repulses you, then let the thought of the effects of your sin uh, cause you to feel the same way about sin. Okay, a question here. Is it okay to attend my granddaughter's event on the Sabbath? It was... Uh, a cheerleading type thing is what he had in mind. His granddaughter's like six or seven years of age. My, my granddaughter has a cheerleading thing. Would it yeah. be okay to attend that on the Sabbath? Well, of course, everything's going to be a choice. You know, are, do we or don't we? But there's some principles that are involved here. And one of those is the example that you're going to be to your granddaughter. Uh, what you do or don't do is going to tell her what is most important in your life. Grandma says it would break her little heart 
if he didn't go. Mm. Well, granddaughter will probably be a little bit disappointed, but typically the relationships that granddaughters have with their grandfathers are not going to be completely torn asunder by uh, not attending one cheerleading event. Here's what I would say. I, I would say this, you know, it, just bear with me here. It depends a little bit to me on the circumstances and the situation. If your granddaughter is, being, is not being raised to know Jesus at all, maybe you say, it's right for me to be there, show some support. I don't believe you're talking about spending an entire day. Uh, perhaps you can be there. And, and for the uninitiated, for someone who keeps, who observes the seventh day Sabbath, the Bible says, in it thou shalt not do any work. It does not say that we are not saying this would be work. But Isaiah talk about, well, bottom line, we do the things of God and not the things of the world. Fair enough to put it that Fair way. Enough. Yeah, and that's appropriate. You can start bending and stretching and compromising so that before long, the Sabbath day doesn't mean nothing to you. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're saying, it's not that this is an unholy exercise, but would it be the right thing to do on the Sabbath? So if your granddaughter doesn't know one thing from another when it comes to faith in God, maybe the right thing for you to do is to show up and say, I'm supporting my granddaughter. I say, maybe, maybe you would say, I don't want to do that. But if that was your answer, you wouldn't be asking me this question. But I would say this, if your granddaughter knows that the reason you can't be there is because you're going to church, just to put it in simple terms, it seems to me that your granddaughter, who already knows that you're a man of faith, is going to understand. She already knows this is an important day for grandpa because he has told her it's an important day to God. Uh, this business about breaking her little heart, if she's six or seven years of age, there's lots of years left for her to understand the reason grandpa doesn't do these things is because he considers it uh, not what Jesus wants him to do, and he wants to do Jesus' will first. Young children can understand that. And as she grows up, you're going to go to her school events and the school play, and you're going to go to a graduation from this and from that. You'll demonstrate your love to her. But if you are concerned about compromising your faith or sending the wrong signal, I would say you don't have to worry about negative effects from this. You can go ahead and be faithful to God. What would you, what would you add to that, Eric? What I would add to it is this. You want to make sure that she knows that you do care about the things that are important to her life. So if you choose not to go, at the end of the day, call her. Go by and visit. Say, how did the cheerleading thing go? Fill me in. What did I miss? Make sure somebody videos it. Yep. If, if grandma's going to be there, if their parents are going to be there, get that phone out and record the little princess doing her thing, and then you can tell how wonderful it was and, and take it for ice cream on Saturday night or something like that. She, if she figures out that if you don't go, it equates to her getting ice cream with grandpa later in the day, she'll be begging you not to come, asking you to... Uh, just short circuit this whole thing. Buy me the ice cream tonight, Grandpa. It's okay. You know what? I'm encouraged by a question like that. We ought to be thinking about what's appropriate. Very good. Is there a danger, Eric, that we could become legalistic? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you, when you become that particular, uh, sometimes the whole principle just disappears. It was some of the things that the, uh, that the Pharisees dealt with back in Jesus' day or that he dealt with with the Pharisees. Uh, they had some very particular man-made laws that they had attached to the Sabbath, and really the spirit of it disappeared. And Jesus, when he tried to share the spirit of it with them, uh, didn't go over so well with them. There are some things that you might do on one day, not do on another. 
Jesus talked about the ox being in the ditch. There are days that you'll, well, I'm not going to get particular, but depending on circumstances, you may choose to do something on one day that one Sabbath that you might do on another. Above and beyond all things, pray. Somebody's listening to me now and saying, wow, that guy's right on. And somebody else is throwing their hands in the air and says, I thought he was a faithful Christian. What's wrong with the man? Well, pray for me if you need to, but pray about these situations. I think it's important that we do. We do want to give the right impression. We don't want to, impre- we don't want to uh, give the wrong impression to those who love us if they have an impressionable minds and our decisions might affect their relationship with God. Alrighty, here's one from Richard. I received a substantial amount of money in a motorcycle accident. Actually, Richard, you probably received money following the accident. Uh, if you received the money in an accident, I'm guessing you crashed into the back of a uh, Brinks truck or something. I'm on Social Security. Otherwise, where should I send the motorcycle money to? Or is it mine freely to spend? Uh, Great question. Well, the money has been given to you or awarded to you, perhaps is a better verb to use here. So what do you do with it then? Well, that's money that perhaps you didn't expect was coming, at least before you ran into the, uh, whatever, the immovable object that you ran into with your motorcycle. So... What do you do with it? Well, part of that is, well, all of it's an increase to your bottom line. It's all an increase that's come into your possession. And there's some pretty good counsel that God gives to us when we get an increase. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 3 and see what God has to say about it. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So this amount of money is an increase that's come into your possession. And we need to honor God with that. Amen, we do. And uh, in fact, if we were to look at what it says in the book of Malachi chapter 3, the Bible says, will a man rob God? What's the answer? The answer is no. No, 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 we shouldn't rob God. Yet you have robbed me, God says. My goodness, how did I do that? So you say, wherein have we robbed you? And God answers in tithes and offerings. Verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that they may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith. What I didn't do is go to verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. God asks us to tithe. So I would say to you, if you received a settlement, tithe that, no question. God also says that we rob him in tithes and offerings. So the first 10% that belongs to God. After that, however you feel God has blessed you or has moved upon your heart, you might want to give something else to God or to God. Uh, And so God says, prove me herewith if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So what God wants to do is bless us. He says, the tithe is mine. And when you give him that, you're blessed. You don't give it so that you'll be blessed. But God wants you to know that when you're faithful, you're not going to be hard done by. You won't come off second best. He'll certainly take care of you. Eric, did you ever hear of somebody who tithed and later on said, wow, I'm worse off because I did that? I I haven't heard that story yet. But again, God says that he's going to bless us. And there are a few places in the Bible where God says, test me. But this is one of those places where he says, test me and see if I don't bless you. Now, he mentioned that he was on Social Security. So uh, people on Social Security generally don't have a whole lot of extra money to go around. But if you don't take take that money and give it to God first, 
God often does, he takes nine-tenths and stretches it out to more than what ten-tenths would be. Because if we end up robbing God, he ends up cursing the income that we do have left. You will not be worse off because you tithed. So tithe, it's, 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 it's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And it's something that God will bless. And you'll put your head on your pillow at night saying, I did not rob God. I did not steal from God. I was faithful to God and God blessed me. Thanks for your questions. We welcome them. Would you submit your questions to us at lineuponline at iiw.org. Lineuponline at iiw.org. We'll be back with more Line Upon Line in just a moment. I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written, inviting you to join me for 500 Nine programs produced by It Is Written, taking you deep into the Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. We'll take you to Wittenberg, and to Belgium, to England, to Ireland, to Rome, to the Vatican City, and introduce you to the people who created the Reformation, who pushed the Reformation forward. We'll take you to sites all throughout Europe where the reformers lived and in some cases died. We'll bring you back to the United States and take you to a little farm in upstate New York and show you how God spread the Reformation here. Don't miss 500. You can own the 500 series on DVD. Call us on 888-664-5573 or visit us online at itiswritten.shop. Join me in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Together we'll go to the very spot where the event took place that started World War I. We'll visit the crumbling Sarajevo Winter Olympic facilities, see Sarajevo roses, go to one of the most picturesque bridges in all of Europe, and visit the site of the longest siege in modern history. All of it stained by tragedy. Don't miss the greatest war as we investigate the greatest war of all, one that affects us both, the greatest war. Watch now on It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Line Upon Line. I'm John Bradshaw with Eric Flickinger. We're from It Is Written. 
And we're answering your Bible questions. We'd love it if you'd get questions to us at lineuponline at iiw.org. I have a question from Latasha. She writes, Matthew 12, 30 to 32. Please explain what this scripture means when it says that he forgives if you speak against God and the Son, but not against the Holy Spirit. Eric, Matthew 12, 30 through 32. This is dealing with the unpardonable sin. It is. Let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. In Matthew 12, beginning in verse 30, he says, He that is not with me is against me. Now, what Jesus does right here is he takes away all gray areas. He says, you are either 100% with me or you're against me. And right after that, he talks about the unpardonable sin. He says, He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So this is clearly something important. It's significant. He says, this cannot be forgiven. So what is this, this unpardonable sin? Well, what sin, how do we have our sins forgiven? 1 John 1, 9, if I remember right, tells us that we confess our sins, and if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So is there a sin that we could confess that God would not forgive? What I really like about this is it says in the passage, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven. That's right. It, it's, it's an apparent contradiction in as much as whatever you can do, God will forgive except for this. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, there's the something that's unpardonable after Jesus has said everything is pardonable. Yep. So help us get to the bottom of this. So what, what could be forgiven if it's confessed? Murder? Yes, that can be forgiven. Moses was a murderer. David yep. was a murderer. Adultery? Uh, not Moses so much, but David for sure. Yep. And he was forgiven. Yep. So you've got a long list. Stealing, theft, uh, the list goes on and on. You can list any one of the Ten Commandments that you could break. If you confess it, forsake it, the promise is it'll be forgiven. Sure. So what then is this unpardonable sin? It would have to be a sin that isn't confessed, that isn't forsaken. And if it's not confessed, if it's not forsaken, it can't be forgiven. So it's not so much a kind of sin or a type of sin, but maybe a degree of sin. Or a condition in sin. A condition in sin. So, so why does Jesus here go and, and speak about the Holy Spirit in regard to this? The Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Godhead. We, of course, have the Father, then the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's appointed agent to communicate with us here today on planet Earth. So what does the Holy Spirit do? There are four major functions of the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. He guides us, he convicts us, and he unites us together. But we can resist the moving of the Holy Spirit. In sure. fact, that was something that Stephen uh, spoke very straightly to the, uh, to the Jewish leaders about. He says, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, and we don't want to listen, when he tries to change our mind to help us see that we're sinning, but we continue to push against him, we're grieving him away. It's as if we're closing our ears to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And the more that we do that, the quieter his voice gets. Um, that's absolutely right. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. Right. And if that horse just refuses to drink, the thing is going to die of thirst. God calls us to repentance. He, he, 
uh, tries to make repentance as attractive as possible. He does. If we fail to repent, we end up dying in our sins. Mm. Who have we resisted when we've chosen not to repent? That's the Holy Spirit that we've resisted. And if we've resisted the Holy Spirit, we have resisted God. And so that's, that's Jesus. His sacrifice is, is reaching out to us. The Holy Spirit is trying to convict us of this. If we're pushing back against the Holy Spirit, it's as if we're pushing back against Christ. It's as if we're pushing back against God uh, just as verily. We appreciate your question, Latasha. There's no sin that you can commit that God cannot or will not forgive, but he cannot forgive any sin if it isn't repented of. He cannot forgive you if you say to the Holy Spirit, I'm not listening, I'm not looking, and I'm refusing to follow. So stay close to Jesus, make sure that your heart is surrendered to his and you're going to be okay. Here's our next question, and it comes from Glenn who says, there was a teacher that he had who stated that the name Jehovah Jireh is not correct. It's based on the original Hebrew name, Yehovah or Yahweh, Yireh. Hey, Glenn, we're not going to get bogged down in this. And I, I don't mean that uh, in an aggressive sort of a way. Hey, but I do mean, hey, Glenn, we're not going to get bogged down in this. There are some people who build denominations on the correct names of God, the correct pronunciation. It's not Yahshua, it's Yehoshua, it's, it's whatever it might be. In English, my name is John. In Espanol, Juan. Auf Deutsch, uh, Johan, uh, or perhaps Hans, but Johan. Uh, how do you say in French? Something Francais, Jean. It's the same name. And so you go around the world, it's, ex it's expressed different ways in different times. Now, God has numerous names, and, and they may mean something ever so slightly different. Jehovah Jireh, uh, the Lord will provide, or God who provides. You can look at Adonai, El Shaddai. The Bible writes, Lord, God, Jehovah. Uh, many will say that Jehovah simply is a reconstituted Yahweh when Moses asked God, what's your name? God said, I am that I am. God's name, I am that I am. Yet not a single person begins their prayer by saying, dear, I am that I am. We come to you. No. We understand God has a lot of names, a lot of um, ways that he can be approached. Jesus is the Christ. He is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Every nuance has a different shade, and when you get enough of those nuances out there, you see a bigger and a fuller picture of who and what God is. But my goodness, there are bigger fish to fry in this world. Is it Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh, Yehovah Yireh? Can you imagine somebody rolling up to the pearly gates, and there's St. Peter, and I'm, pardon me for borrowing some mythology here with his hand out, not you, you're that fellow we've been talking about. You've been saying Jireh instead of Yireh. Mm, there's no room for you here. Can you imagine? I, I can't imagine that. And so my, my kind answer, at least I hope it's kind, is that you, you just don't let people make a big deal out of nothing. It's not that the name of God is nothing, but do you think we've got enough time to split hairs about the name of God, we need to deal with pride and with sin in our heart and with a world around us that's lost and dying and people who don't know the Savior Jesus, however you want to say his name. 
So we're going to try to keep the focus where the focus is, and that focus is on Christ, the person of Christ, the Word of God. And we're going to do our very best not to split hairs. Appreciate the question, Glenn, because it gave me the opportunity to share that answer with you. A question from Errol. Who are the Israelites of today? That's a great question. Who, who was Israel back in Old Testament times? Well, first of all, it was one man by the name of Jacob. Uh, we look at, uh, at who he became or who he begat, if you will. He had 12 sons. They eventually became the nation of Israel. You take a look at Matthew, and Matthew applies an Old Testament prophecy in Hosea 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. He applies that to Jesus. So we've got a new, G, a new Israel in the New Testament, that is Jesus. He had 12 apostles. Today, who are the descendants, if you will, of them? Well, Paul had a lot to say about who Israel is. Let's take a look at what he says in Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse number 17, here's what Paul says. He says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. So he's talking here to people who claim to be Jews, but it doesn't sound like he's calling them real Jews. If you come down to verse 25, he says, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Now, when Paul talks about the circumcision and the uncircumcision, he's basically talking about Jews and Gentiles. It's sort of phrases that he uses to describe those two groups of people. And then in verse 26, he says, Therefore, if the uncircumcision, that would be the Gentile, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision. So what Paul is saying here is, if you are a Jew, a bloodline descendant of Abraham, but you're not keeping the righteousness of the law, then in God's eyes, you are viewed as a Gentile. Right. But if you are a Gentile and you're keeping the righteousness of the law, in other words, you've, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior where you're walking in the light that the Bible gives, then he says, in God's eyes, you're not viewed as a Gentile, you're viewed as a Jew. Good point. Really good distinction. In the book of Galatians, there's a parallel passage in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Then he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who are the descendants of Abraham today? Those who are Christ's. Uh, in the book of Romans, and I want to say in Romans chapter 11, Paul says they are not all of Israel who are Israel. Paul writes about Israel after the flesh and Israel after the spirit. So you can be a Jew and not be a Jew. You can be a descendant of Abraham and not be a descendant of Abraham, but you can be a Greek, a Gentile, and be one of the children of Abraham simply because you had faith in God. You've given your heart to Jesus. You become part of the saved, part of God's Israel. Amen to that. Hey, I've liked these questions today, and we'll have more questions next time, but we want to appeal to you to share your questions with us. Can't answer them if you don't ask them. So we want to urge you to get your questions to us. Eric, share that email address, if you would. Lineuponline at IIW.org. Lineuponline at IIW.org. Send them in. We'd be encouraged if you'd get your questions to us. And next time we're here, we'll look through another list of questions. Do our very best to give you a Bible answer to your Bible questions. If we don't know the answer, we'll just tell you. 
Sorry, we don't know. Thanks for joining us today. We've appreciated this opportunity to share God's Word with you, and we hope you're blessed. With Eric Flickinger, I'm John Bradshaw. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next time.